You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. What now, the history podcast that is not your history class with me, your, uh, oh, busy host, Katie Charlwood, poison partisan and reader of books. Well, it has been a weird couple of days for me, so I was, I was pretty happy. I was doing pretty well. I got a bunch of the Patreon stuff shipped off. I actually started openly communicating with friends again, and I have been making, I haven't been making booze because that's illegal. Well... Actually, technically, I think you can make it if you make it for yourself. Anyway, that's not important. The point is, along with the theme of today's episode, I was making booze. So I have made, currently, I have gorse wine. Gorse is this sort of uh, spiky demon of a plant that just sort of overtakes everywhere. And I was like, listen, if you're going to be a weed in my garden, you may as well be useful. So I was like, I'm going to make some gorse wine. So I've got that currently fermenting. And I've also got ginger beer, which is going to be fermenting. I've got two batches. I've got one which is just like ginger beer. And then I have the other, which is uh, ginger and chilli beer. And then I've got a bunch of alcohol infusing. Um, I try and use what's like roundabout. Very exciting, very exciting stuff. Me and my booze infusions. So I've got, I was like sending pictures to all my cousins like, have you seen this? Uh, So I've got strawberry and basil gin, cucumber and mint gin, Mary Berry Vodka, which is just like, whatever berries that were about to go off in my fridge, I was like, I'm going to shove these in alcohol. (laughs) I've also got blueberry and lemon gin? Vodka? Honestly, I don't know anymore, but I'm going to, I guess we'll figure out when I open it up again. And I bottled up uh, my Bramble Whiskey, which has been maturing for a good while now, actually. And I don't know, I guess we'll see how it goes, to be honest. Like, I can hear. It's like, I'm actually standing in the room where I've got the gorse wine fermenting and I can hear it bubbling. (laughs) I think I may have added too much enzyme, but um, 
I guess we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and if anybody has any suggestions of like what infusions I should do or what kind of like um, booze I should try and make next, I, I am all ears. I'm here for suggestions. You know what I mean? I actually, oh, I ordered furniture for my bedroom. I actually have a chest of drawers coming. So I will no longer look like I am living in a student's apartment. And with that, I want to say thank you to everyone who's been uh, supporting on Patreon and who's been commenting on like the TikTok videos and on Instagram and sharing everything and who's following me on Twitter and interacting. You have no idea how much all of that helps. If you want to support me, um, you've got patreon.com slash who did what now. There's now merch available, actually. Uh, merch on, I think it's spreadshirt.ie slash who did what now. I actually got myself a Guild of Historical Descent sweatshirt and I'm so proud of it. I'll have to post it on my Instagram actually later on. Um, I'm going to do it Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, because I've got time off on Wednesday, so I'm going to do it then. And then Instagram, TikTok and Facebook are Who Did What Now Pod, <laughs> Who Did What Now Pod, and then Twitter is Who Did What Now PD. And, and before I forget, actually, I want to thank everyone for their Apple podcast reviews, you have no idea the difference it makes. It really helps. Apple has this funky algorithm and being up in the charts, it just really, really helps, you know, promote the podcast and get it out there and share information. And, um, oh, I was dinner. So yeah. And, um, now for my sad news. So I've had this cat since before my oldest was born. And so she was basically old and blind so she got on really well with my mum oh, she's gonna kill me for that sammy the cat was a black and white cat i think sammy was like 11 years old or something she passed away she passed away in her sleep last night and it, and my wee boy was the one who found her and needless to say I, and so i've spent most of today talking about death which is super fun and not at all morbid and now i have to stage a cat funeral which is weird but anyway, but I hear you're going, quit your jibber-jabbing woman and fact me. And so I shall. But first, source your shit. We are going to talk about the prohibition poisonings. My sources for this episode are The Poisoner's Handbook, Murder and the Birth of Forensic Medicine and Jazz by Deborah Bloom. Articles from the Canadian Medical Association. Vox.com, Atlas Obscura, and the New York Times. Let me set the scene for you, my friends. It's Christmas Eve, 1926, in New York City, and a man stumbles into the emergency room of Bellevue Hospital. His skin is flushed. He's gasping and panicking. He's telling the nurses he's terrified of Santa Claus. He keeps telling the nurses that Santa Claus is just behind him and he's got a baseball bat. But this alcohol-induced hallucination was merely a symptom of what was going on. And before, before any of the staff could realise how ill this man was, he died. But then another person enters the emergency room and he dies. And another person trying to celebrate the Yuletide with a merry beverage. And another partier. And another one. And another one. As Christmas Day dawned, 60 people showed up 
in the emergency room, incredibly ill from alcohol, and eight had died. Over the next couple days, 23 people died in New York City as a result of, of partying in the party season. Now, alcohol poisoning wasn't a new thing because doctors and nurses and hospital staff, they were all very much used to alcohol poisoning. And not just because of the alcohol, but because the alcohol had toxins in it. Because we are in the midst of prohibition. So in the prohibition era, you've got bathtub gin and bootlegged whiskey and it would make people sick. You know, you've got people making moonshine in less than hygienic stills. So the moonshine and the booze that comes from those usually ends up tainted with, you know, metals and other impurities. So let's go back in time a little bit to 1990. The United States, as a result of everyone's favourite buzzkills, the Temperance League, bans the manufacture and sale of alcohol. So prohibition goes into effect on January 1st, 1920. But it didn't stop people from wanting to drink alcohol, obviously. Alcoholism rates actually skyrocketed during the 20s by 300%. Speakeasies start opening up. And by the end of the Roaring Twenties, there were like 30,000 speakeasies in New York City alone. The country's response to all of these restrictive laws genuinely shocked people that thought that, that, that this would bring in this staunch new era with extreme morals and stuff. Like, it's, it's kind of like when you restrict access to sexual health and birth control, which then leads to people having back alley abortions and ordering abortifacients online creates a much bigger problem. I'm just, I'm just saying. So, and as such, the alcohol industry, well, the illicit alcohol industry booms. And, you know, they try and, you know, secure the borders, but you've, but then you've got booze coming up from Mexico and down from Canada. But transport ain't cheap. So, so some bootleggers who wanted to make more money, they would try and get booze that was made closest to home. And because the US government could ban making, making hard cider or brewing beer, they couldn't ban industrial alcohol because it was used to make everything from, like, paint to perfume, to like stuff for furniture polish. So bootleggers would distill industrial alcohol in order to make it drinkable. So the federal government, their response to this is to enforce manufacturers to add more poison and more toxins into the alcohol. But here's the thing, most manufacturers were already adding poisons to industrial alcohol because, was it 1906, Congress passed a law, passed a law about industrial alcohol and taxes. Yeah, it was exempt from taxes because it wouldn't be taxed as long as it was so poisonous that it would be undrinkable. And the government literally, like federal chemists, they are put together to make all of these formulas to denature alcohol to make it poisonous. But then you have these chemists working on the side of the bootleggers would counteract that. And like one of the ways they did this was boiling industrial alcohol and stills. Most of the, the poisons and the toxic additives would evaporate. Unfortunately, uh, for 
the people who drank alcohol, they realised that it was fairly impossible to remove all of the toxic additives. So bootleggers would sell, you know, this denatured alcohol and and then scores of Americans would, were, well, were um, suspected of dying from consuming the toxic or poisonous booze. And the majority of the people who died were from the lower or working classes because they're not going to be able to afford the more expensive smuggled beer and whiskey. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So one of the easiest alcohols to convert was actually called... Um, it was a formula called 39B. It was generally used for perfumes and cosmetics. So it was actually relatively easy to turn into drinking alcohol. And with each batch of, or each formula that the government would push out, the chemists would just keep distilling it out every single time. They'd be like, boom, 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 boom. And by 1926, the government had actually removed three of the formulas because the bootleggers were just too good at distilling it. So by 1926, they can't avoid this crisis anymore. And the US government orders that all industrial alcohols manufactured in the United States to add twice as much methanol, which is deadly and practically impossible to filter out. By 1927, by like the middle of 1927, these, the put... But it wasn't just these that they added. So they had... Kerosene, brucine, which is like um, really close to strychnine, benzene, iodine, nicotine, ether, formaldehyde, chloroform, mercury salts, gasoline, carbolic acid, camphor, quinine, and acetone. Yes, the stuff you use to take off your nail polish. And the amount of methanol, the methyl alcohol that was added, was at some points 10% of the total product. Um, this would generally be known as Formula 5 and allegedly drinks containing Formula 5 would result in blindness or death. You know when they make that joke about you drinking booze and then going blind? This is where it comes from. So this was supported very much by like Temperance League and the Anti-Saloon League and people like that. These dry activists, they, they thought that, you know, it's very poisonous and... It smells repugnant. And so, no, nobody's going to drink that. Well, clearly they've never met somebody who likes a drink. Insert xenophobic Irish booze joke. <sighs> like, one of the guys, uh, Wayne B. Wheeler, he was the general counsel of the Anti-Saloon League. He said that people who are poisoned by alcohol were committing suicide. And like, all these kind of like activists, they couldn't understand the concept of people needing a drink. People would risk their lives to drink. Like, they couldn't grasp the concept. So, like, you've got them who are on side with, like, yeah, let's poison the booze. And you've got people on the other side who are going, 
like other like senators and shit and they're like do not do this uh because this is legalized murder direct quote legalized murder and charles norris who was the chief medical examiner of new york city during this time he referred to it as our national experiment in extermination he said that the government knows it's not stopping drinking by putting poison in alcohol but it keeps continuing the poisoning process like he warned citizens you know to watch out for the whiskey that was circulating in the city and that and in 1928 nearly all the the booze that was being sold in new york was toxic and here's the thing the numbers they're not small in new york new york city in 1926 1200 people that we know of were sickened by poisonous alcohol 400 died in 1927, this goes up to 700. And these numbers are repeating in cities all around the country. And it keeps going and it keeps going. And by the end of the era, by the end of the decade, 10,000 people had died as a result of the Volstead Act and Prohibition. And you have to think, like, did they think that some people would just stop drinking? Or... Did they think this would scare people into giving up drinking? So, and at this time as well, federal chemists were trying to develop a disgusting but non-lethal substance to add to the alcohol that couldn't be removed so that it would be awful, awful to drink. But, you know, anybody who's ever had straight vodka knows that people will drink anything. So by 1930, these federal chemists, they hit the jackpot. Alcotate. Alcotate? Alcotate. One of those! It is either alcotate or alcotate. Alcotate sounds a bit better, doesn't it? Sometimes you learn words by reading them. So this thing, which was a byproduct of petroleum, had a disgusting, repugnant stench of like rotten eggs and garlic, so very sulfurous, and it would make drinkers violently ill without poisoning them. But by then, bootleggers were just making their own booze with, like, yeast and water and sugar, you know? So, like, at that point, it didn't really matter. Officially. Officially. On an official level, the denaturing of alcohol ended on the... on when the 18th Amendment was repealed. But, December of 1933, but the process had generally dwindled away and faded out. And sort of, since, like, 1930, it already sort of whittled down and disappeared... And slowly but surely, the big boss government officials, they just sort of stopped mentioning it. So prohibition ends and, you know, all the good booze comes back. You know, good green whiskey, vodka, gin, beer. Beer makes a comeback. And in this wild era, just doesn't really get talked about again, which is just very interesting. So yeah... Approximately 10,000 people died due to the denaturing program by the US federal government, which is such an insane amount when you think of how gruesome, like the, how high a death toll that is for a program which was supposedly intended to help people. Yeah, and this sort of has like a big huge chain of events scenario. The nightclub scene sort of starts from this era and then you've got all of these criminals who made their money via bootlegging and smuggling, they end up smuggling other things like drugs. And this is why, like, in the 1920s, you had people smuggling alcohol. And in the 1930s, they start smuggling drugs. Like, it just becomes, like, it really, really increases from there. I mean, the drugs were still getting in in the 1920s. 
but the government was so focused on booze, they didn't really notice the drugs so much. You know, and it's just this domino effect of just stuff that keeps happening. But anyway, so that is the story of the federal government poisoning people during prohibition. So, what have we learned today? We learned that even the best of intentions uh, have dire consequences and that the government really has to face up to consequences and that it's pretty easy to cover up these stories and that religious values should not be used as a basis for government because that's actually against the constitution because you're not supposed to combine church and state but that's neither here nor there. Um, also, if it smells bad, do not put it in your mouth. That goes for anything in life. Like, if you do not enjoy the smell of it, you're probably not going to enjoy the taste of it. I'm just saying. That's life advice from me to you. Anyway. Oh, we learned that you really shouldn't make bathtub gin. And don't trust a chemist. (laughs) Yeah. So that has been this week's episode. Yeah. I really want a ridiculous gin now. Isn't there, I think there's a cocktail which is called the bathtub gin. I want it. (laughs) I really want one now. But um, yeah. And don't forget, if you like stuff, go on and like stuff. Get involved. Join the community. It'll be fun. It's been fun for me, so I'm going to chat to you all next time. And remember, if you think it's bad, don't put it in your mouth. Just don't. Anyway, I will chat to you next time. And I will say adios. Au revoir. Au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.